Luke. We started last week. If you weren't here, go back and listen, but it kind of gives you a framework and, and just a, here, here we go. What we're doing is we're reading the book of Luke together, and then we will get to Acts after that. Uh, and if you've never just sat down and read a, a piece of scripture together, it is an experience that um, God speaks through to us. And so I want to encourage you to take some time just to read Luke. We read four verses last week. Uh, we're going to do a little bit more than that this week, or that's what I'm aspiring to. Um, so about 21 verses. So I'm going to read a whole chunk of scripture together because... It's a story. It's what's called a historical narrative. And what, as you were here last week, Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus and saying, hey, most excellent Theophilus, which we all need a friend that is most excellent, and Theophilus is Luke's friend that's most excellent, and he's writing to him and he says, you're a position of, in a position of power in our culture, and I want you to know that what you've already heard about Jesus, you can have, you can have certainty in that, that that really happened. And the reason that, that I can help you in that way is that I've done a whole bunch of research and talked to a whole bunch of eyewitnesses, and I've wrote out carefully the story of that. And so Luke is a, is a longer, longer gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are gospels. It's a longer one. Uh, and the first chapter is 80 verses. And we've got to move at a pretty fast clip to get through it so that we're talking about the birth of Jesus when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus on Advent, right? I'm sure you're all tracking with that. It'll make sense in a few weeks if you're not. So we're going to read a piece of a story. And Luke is writing the story with all of this detail and specifics so that the people that are reading it, including us, can go, oh, this really happened. But he's doing much more than that. But we're going to read a, a scene of this story together right now. And then I, I want to just point to two things. One is a really big, important thing, and it's the main thing that's coming through this part of Scripture. And then there's kind of a, I'm going to say this, a kind of a fun little tack on second one. So that's what we're going to go. Luke chapter one, we're going to pick up in verse five. I'm going to read 21 verses. It's going to take less than 21 minutes, but longer than 21 seconds. Luke chapter one, verse five says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents 
to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, uh, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. If you would have asked me uh, 10 years ago, uh, if, I, if I would have been in a group, we would have been hanging out, and the topic of multitasking came up, and you said, hey, who, who's, who's good at multitasking? I would have raised my hand. Um, I, I have since, in the past 10 years, learned that that kind of thing that happened would have been a, a moment where I lacked self-awareness. I'm not a good multitasker. I've taken a test called Strengths Finders that tells me one of my strengths is focus. The definition of focus is, nah, 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 you can't multitask. Like, I'm just not a good multitasker. I'm focused, I'm linear, I can stay with something, I can block other things out very well. Sometimes that's healthy, sometimes that's not healthy. I'm not a good multitasker. The way that I learned this was that roughly 10 years ago, Abby, my wife, went back to school uh, to start taking prereqs to go to nursing school, which was an 18-month program of, of nursing classes. And when she started nursing school, our whole family shifted. And one of the, the, the biggest shifts that I felt was me not doing much in the kitchen to me doing much in the kitchen. We all agreed as a family that I would take up more kitchen responsibilities, and that was really disappointing to our sons because I'm not nearly as good as Abby is in the kitchen. Not only am I not as good at creating things in the kitchen that she is, but it takes me like exponentially longer to do things. I got really good at making mashed potatoes. I've shared this before. It's a sense of pride for me. But what I've realized is that making mashed potatoes is a very linear process where I can focus on boiling the water, putting potatoes in the water, letting them cook and soften, mash them up, put good stuff in it, mash it all together and serve it and just be so proud. But then we have a meal of only mashed potatoes. Abby on the other side has this artistic, amazing ability in the kitchen to like juggle, make mashed potatoes while also searing meat to just the right temperature where it's ready to put into broil, while like reaching back with her little toe and making like a gin and tonic all at the same time. <laughs> and then we sit down and there's this gorgeous meal. She can multitask in this. And I know if you're saying like, well, technically with brain science, you don't multitask, you're just better at switching back and things, whatever. She's good at multitasking. She can do all of that at the same time. I'm like this with blinders on and I can just barely get the mashed potatoes down and then forget that there's nothing else on the table to eat for dinner. 
She's great at multitasking. I just realized I'm gonna bridge an example of my wife to the God of the universe, but go with me here. God is telling us that above anyone else, at any other time, he can balance everything and hold everything together in his view and not only see it and hold it and know it and feel it and understand it and care about it, but usher it and navigate it towards something that is his desired end when everything is set and good for everyone. Luke is 25 verses into his letter to Theophilus, and he has not mentioned the name of Jesus, but he's talked about John, and the reason he's talking about John, who is going to be conceived soon here at the end of our story that we've read this morning, is that Luke is saying God is in control and can do this divine multitasking where the whole universe is bending towards his goals and his desires after it was broken long ago. And what God is saying here in this entertaining, bizarre, funny, confusing 21 verses of a story is that God's in control and he has it all in his hand. And not only that, but this, this snippet that we read that Theophilus first got and is questioning his own faith because everything around him is kind of crumbling. He's wondering if Jesus is really who Jesus promised to be because he got killed and then resurrected and then he's gone now and the, 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 the community that is following Jesus and naming themselves after Jesus as Christians seems to be persecuted quite a bit. And so Theophilus is answer, asking questions of, is this even true? And Luke steps back and says, let me paint a big picture for you. And let's look together at how great and how big and how good our God is. Because he has everything in his hand. And he has this amazing ability to usher where all of creation is headed and all of the globe is headed and the nation specifically that they find themselves in and how he's directing and working through it. What he's been so faithful over generation, generation to do. And at the very same time that he's doing that, he sees a barren woman who is now elderly and has lived her whole life with some level of shame because all of her friends have had kids and she hasn't. And God is able to see the big picture and the little individual life that is struggling and faithful and blameless and seeking to obey God but still struggling and hurting and lonely and isolated and dealings with disgrace from her community. That God sees both of those at the same time, and he's not stretched at all. I take out my phone, and I need to know what the weather is immediately, and I have to let the, map, the app load just for a second. We think sometimes when we access God, when we cry out to God, when we ask God a question, that he's got to get his brain wires in line to answer and to hear us. And what we find out here is that he's, no, no, he's paying attention the whole time. He's attentive the whole time. He's actually waiting for us to wake up. Zechariah's a, a priest, and um, that doesn't mean that he walks around in, in special clothes all the time. What it means is that um, he is in a particular line uh, uh, of a family that has a, means he's a priest. And so he lives outside of Jerusalem in some land that he probably farms and manages. And he probably looks like more like a farmer for about 50 weeks out of the year. But two weeks out of the year, he's assigned to come in and serve as a priest. And so he comes in with the rest of his crew that's assigned at that time. And they go through the motions every single day of what it means to offer sacrifices and facilitate worship in the temple. And they've got all these responsibilities for a week. And then he goes, goes back home. But he's in for a week. And 
they all do the same things, but, but for those two weeks every year, there's this, this hope or this longing that he's asking us, is it my turn, is it my turn, is it my turn? Because once in a lifetime, the lot falls to you and you get to not just go in to the holy place, but you get to go all the way into the place and you get to be the one that burns the incense at that time. And if you didn't, if you didn't know this or if that's new to you, you're like, wait, what, they're burning incense? Like, what's going on there? It's this, it's this symbol of what we've been doing together to, collectively this, this morning is that when we sing to God, when we pray to God, it's, there's, this, there's this imagery, there's this picture of our praises and our words are lifting to God. And they don't need to, he's right here with us, so they don't actually need to get up a certain amount of height, but it's this picture of it. And, and priests looked for that day in their whole entire life where they would have one day where they get to be the one that burns the incense. So this is a special, special day for Zachariah. And the lot falls to him, and so he goes in. There's two other guys with him. They get everything set up, and then they leave, and he's the one to burn the incense. And so he, he burns the incense, and it all goes right. You know, can you imagine that moment? He's an elderly man. He's been waiting for this his entire life. This is his high point of his life. This is the day. This is the moment. And wouldn't you know it, an angel shows up and like interrupts his special moment. And he's like, I really, I got the thing lit. The incense is going, it just, just looks good. I, I did it, I didn't blow it, I didn't knock over the, the whole stand or something. And they hear some loud noise out there where they're praying and worshiping, but I got it lit. And then you show up, like what is going on here? And then, you know, if you don't know this about it already, that angels can look a lot of different things, but angels are absolutely powerful. We think that they're like, I don't know, cute naked babies sometimes and they float around with wings. And no, they're like intimidating when they show up. They can look like a lot of different things, but when they show up to communicate a message like this, they're intimidating. So. You'll see over and over through scripture, they're so beautiful, they're so radiant, they're so immense that they have to start with, be less scared. And so that's what he says to him is like, stop being so afraid. Oh, okay, like that works really well, right? So Zechariah is absolutely fearful because Gabriel is here. And Gabriel says, this is what's gonna happen. You guys are gonna have a baby. And then you're gonna name him John. And then John's gonna do these very, very special things, these very unique things. He says this in, in, in verses 16 and 17. We heard it, but let me read it for us again. Talking about John. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a that's a, big, that's, a, that's a big time role description right there. If you want to talk about prophecy, that's a huge prophecy. This person, John, that you're going to give, you guys are going to give birth to as a couple, even though you're elderly, you're, he's going to come and do this. That's what he's going to do. Here's what's interesting. Stay with me just for a moment, but we've got to go back roughly 400 years. The words that Gabriel said to Zechariah in that moment where he was burning incense inside the temple in the holy place, he says these words, and they're recorded in a book called Malachi. And they say this. This is the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. She's talking about Elijah, not John. Talk about Elijah. Prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents. These are the exact same words that Gabriel said that we have in Luke chapter 1. Turn the hearts of their parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents. You see this, this restoration, this reconciliation, this healing, this healthy thing happening, or else I will come and strike the land with total destructions. That's, 
that's no good, that's bad. But the other part's really good, that families would get back together, that something's broken that would be reconciled once again. Here's where this shows up. Malachi chapter four, verses five and six, is like the very end of the Old Testament, and then you get to the next page and it says the New Testament. It could also say about 400 years later. There's like 400 years of silence where God has just said this, and then nothing. And week after week, day after day, morning after morning, Sacrifices are offered in the temple and priests come and do their jobs and they go through the motions and they obey God. And there's a few people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who their whole community looks at them and go, wow, they're righteous and blameless. I don't know why they don't have children. That's a disgrace for them and they're looked down upon by others, but, but wow, they're good people. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting for the Lord to speak and it's been 400 years. And then Gabriel shows up and speaks to Zechariah. 400 years. And he says, John is going to be born in the spirit of Elijah. He's going to fulfill what Elijah was doing. And if you don't know who Elijah is, spend some time this afternoon reading 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this crazy, wonderful, just bonkers scene where Elijah, as a prophet of God, is competing. It's like, a, like an American Ninja Warrior kind of competition, but with, with like sacrifices and altars and stuff and the prophets of Baal are over here and they're going to compete to see which one lights up and just Elijah just obliterates him. He just wins because God wins. And there's this great story where, where Elijah says to the people before the whole scene happens, Elijah says, the Lord, your God, if the Lord is your God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. And the people cheer after the whole competition is over in God's win. They cheer over and over. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah is calling him to repentance. And Gabriel comes and says to Zechariah, you're going to have a son. I know you're real old, but you're going to have a son. And he's going to call people to repentance. And something is happening. And now that there's prophecy happening again, there's a voice from the God through 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 Gabriel. Now that you're gonna conceive and have a child, you can know that God has been faithful, he is faithful, he will be faithful, he's continuing to work and will continue to work. This is who God is. Verse 25 says this. The Lord has done this for me, Elizabeth said, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. At the same exact time that Gabriel is indicating that the God of all history is working and active and moving right in their calendar, right in that moment, looking at things that have gone back thousands of years and are looking to talk about all of eternity, this massive scope, he also sees this woman who lives in disgrace and struggles with shame. And he says, I I see your exact need. I see what you're struggling with. I see your pain. I see your shame. I see your disgrace. And I don't discount it. I don't slide it off the table because we've got big global things to deal with. The, The God of the universe is able to hold both of those in the exact same moment. That we don't get lost because God is doing something grand in our world that he sees each and every one of us. 
There's actually this beautiful bringing together of, if we read throughout scripture, there is woman after woman, mother after wife after wife who wants to be a mother. And God has worked through all of them, Sarah and then Rebecca and then Rachel and then Samson's mom and then Samuel's mom, who went late into life saying, I want to have a child and didn't. And then God shows up and he says, now you're gonna have a child. And not only that, but I'm gonna use it for something significant and it's gonna be part of my story. God is aware of our struggle, God is aware of our needs, God is aware of our pain. And not only does he wanna heal it and be involved in it, in that healing, but he has this amazing divine ability to weave our stories into his story and to use it for his good. And what Luke is doing here by talking to eyewitnesses and recording this little piece of historical narrative is to say, look how God works and look how he's involving you. One of the things that we have said over the last few years in the, in the life of our church of Mosaic is that we need to, to look back at who God is and what he's done, and specifically in the life of our church, and then specifically in our own lives, in order to be able to turn and look into the future. If we just stare this way and go, this is what I dream of and this is what I want, and let's make that happen, and we don't realize who it is that sustains us, who is it that's provided for us, who it is that's directing us, who it is that has worked all through history and all through our own lives and acknowledge that we're not gonna be able to see what's ahead of us. We're gonna see what we wanna see ahead of us. We're not gonna see what God wants us to see and invite us into. And so we've, not all of us, but a, a number of us have gone through this process called focused living that helps us as individuals just to do that. And what it does is it forces us, invites us to look back and to acknowledge the good things that God has done in our life and to also acknowledge the pain that they're in our life. And it creates a context, a moment, where God can show up and work and begin to heal, because when we acknowledge the things that have gone on in our life that are painful, and to begin to assess how has God already used them, and that will indicate how he wants to use them in the future. Here's what this means. Nothing in our life happens just on accident or is insignificant. That God has this amazing ability to use all of it and to weave it together for his purposes when we put our life in his hands. When we hang on to it ourselves, that that doesn't work well. It's fascinating to me that Zechariah and Elizabeth were identified as blameless and righteous, and yet they didn't have what they wanted. They still struggled with disgrace and shame. God actually has this ability, when we trust him with our lives, by seeking to be righteous, to seek to obey him, even in the challenges of life, that we have faith and trust him and obey him, that he wants to work all of it together, not just for us. That's part of it. The Lord has done this for me. He has shown favor to me. He doesn't want to just show favor to Elizabeth. He wants to show favor to each and every one of us. And one of the ways that happens is when we trust him and we open our lives to him and say, what are the things that you've done and provided for me in my past? What are the things that have been painful that I wish hadn't happened? Whether things I did to myself or someone else did to me or however it happened. But God, I want to trust you with all of it. Will you heal it and bring it back together? The God that is orchestrating history towards his purposes and his good is also deeply aware of every single thing that goes on in our lives that we think, feel, struggle with, have victory over, enjoy. God's aware of it and he wants to be involved in it. Here's the second thing, or the other thing. There's a reminder in this story. It's not the main point, but it's, I think it's kind of an entertaining one because of the way that it's done. 
but that for each and every one of us, whether we would say in this moment this morning that our faith is strong and settled, that our faith is strong and settled, or that it's wobbly and weak and undefined, or that we don't have any faith, that we're exploring, or maybe on the other side, that we've done a fine job of deconstructing our faith and we're wondering where to go now. Wherever we are on the spectrum, one of the things this story reveals is that our faith is alive, it's fluid, it's organic. It's not a settled certain thing. It's not something that we, and I would love for it to be that. I'm focused, I'm linear, I get that. I would love for it, I'm done, I've decided, I'm a follower of Jesus, he's alive, he's healed me, he's redeemed me, he's my savior and king, done. Go through life. That doesn't work, we know that. I'm, I'm sorry if that's shocking to you and you're just now hearing that. But that just doesn't work. We have too many people involved in our lives. We are complex beings. And God knows that about this. And one of the things that he's saying in the story is that, that faith is always fluid, that it's alive, that it's going to move and work. And so you, we've got this guy, Zachariah, who has been faithful and righteous and blameless his whole life. He's an elderly guy. And he's the one burning incense that when the angel shows up, that he knows is real. And he knows the whole story of God that's written up to that point. And he gets what he actually wants. And I don't think the angel is saying, I hear your prayer, I'm answering your prayer, meaning I want a child. It, Zechariah had specific prayers that he was to pray on that day in that moment. He was praying those, he was praying for the nation. And the, the angel says, yes, I'm gonna grant those. God is faithful, those are gonna happen. And guess what? The way that it's gonna happen is through your life, through you guys having a kid, because that is just gonna freak everybody out that you as an elderly couple got pregnant. But he says, I'm answering your prayer. And what does Zechariah say? Yeah, I know, but can I have a sign? Yeah, here's one for you. Try this. Try talking for the next nine months. Try that. Oops. Discipline, and this is discipline. Don't, let's not dress this up as anything else. Discipline increases our trust. We have an invitation. We can choose how to respond. He responded really well. And I just also, just to be really, really clear, when we handle a text like this, we need to be careful of what it doesn't mean. Um, and so we can't read, read the scriptures and then get some ideas in our head and go, oh, I'm gonna do this because the Bible says this. And so, you know, wives, if your husbands come home and they're like, they can't talk, and they're like, and they're writing down or texting, hey, God told me we need to make a baby. Like, that's not what this is intended to do, okay? So just call that out, honey, nice try, let's, let, you know, let's have a different conversation, but um, and I know you can talk and you're just trying this Zechariah thing out, like nice work. So uh, unless, you, of course, your husband is a priest and he's burning incense you know, this week, but that's not what this is saying. This is discipline when he takes away his speech and says, no, you're not gonna talk for nine months, and why? Because your faith is fluid and it's a little wobbly right now and this is gonna be a way to strengthen it. And so you're gonna go through the next nine months not being able to speak and you're gonna watch the things that happen around you. And one of the things you're gonna watch is your wife is gonna become pregnant. We all know how that happens. And if you don't, ask your parents. But if, we know how that happens. So God is working through that and you're gonna realize at the end of nine months that this is all real and I am in control and I'm orchestrating things to my good and my ends. And you happen to be caught up into it because you're faithful and righteous but right now your faith's a little bit wobbly. So for us, regardless of our age in life, whether we're young and we're in our teens, whether we're old and in our 70s, whether we're anywhere in between, whether we came to faith six months ago or 60 years ago, 
Our faith is a fluid thing, and we always need to be asking the question, what is the next thing that God wants for me? What is the next step of faith and the next step of risk and the next step of courage that I might be ready for? What is the thing that I've been holding God at bay for that I finally wanted to lay down my barriers and say, God, do this work in me? We can all answer that question. What is the next thing, God, that you want to do in me? Would you do this with me? Would you, would you close your eyes with me? We're going to continue to sing now and, and take communion together. And if you didn't catch it, I mentioned it earlier that we're 25 verses into the book of Luke and the name of Jesus hasn't been mentioned. And yet all of this is leading up to and focused on and pointed to and for and about Jesus. That this is all leading to Jesus. That Luke is setting the stage to say the good God of the universe gave his son who came in the flesh, lived, died, was buried and conquered death and rose again. And so we know where the story goes. And if you haven't heard it yet, hear it right now that we are invited to be part of it. And so Jesus, in this moment, as we remember your body broken and your blood shed, we receive that as for us because we needed it. Because there was a time when our faith wasn't even alive and you brought it from death to life. That you brought us from death to life. And so Jesus, in this place and in this time and in our hearts and in our minds, would you be king? Would you be acknowledged as savior? We love you and we need you. If you don't have one of these cups, you can get one from the back, but you push down the tab and take it up and then let's take and eat together. Body broken and bloodshed.